Hello and welcome to Bad End Podcast. This is episode one, number 119, um, our special game of the year edition episode. Uh, we just had another episode, I guess a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm releasing these as two separate episodes, even though we're recording them on the same day um, because we're, we're having listeners on each episode. It's kind of our special for this year because really the listeners are kind of what kept Bad End uh, afloat this year, I guess for the past month, month and a half, uh, while Kyle has been handling his life duties that he's come into in these past few months. Uh, but yeah, I am Josh Calixto. So thank you all for joining us. Thanks for listening to the show. It's like so nice to have y'all here. Uh, and we're joined by a few more listeners today. We've got Brian. Um, we've got David, David new, and we've got, uh, Steven, so hello to all of you. If y'all want to say hello, maybe give a quick, super general intro. I have not worked in games in any professional manner. I work in the art world, uh, in museums specifically, but I generally am really into critique of all kinds of media. So it's kind of what brought me to bat in in the first place in superculture. So great to be here. Yeah, and I can go next. I'm David. Um, I'm not really involved in any games uh, as far as work goes, but I've been in the uh, Bad End and now Superculture uh, community and Discord for, I don't know, four years or something like that. So I've been hanging around forever. So it's nice to join everyone and say hey. And hey, I am Steven. I used to work for Dual Shockers years and years ago. Uh, so I went to a bunch of events uh, for gaming and stuff like that. Um, haven't worked in any games media thing. Uh, I did freelance a long time ago for websites that are no longer around, which is kind of the typical thing for writing online. Uh, but now I just kind of enjoy, you know, um, supporting and talking with other people who, you know, have interesting ways of talking about games that you aren't going to find uh, in a lot of places on the internet. And Superculture is definitely the premier place for that, that I, th I think. Sweet. So to kick that off, then, um, I want us to talk about our games of the year. We did this a bit last uh, episode. Um, we On that episode, we talked about Peniment. We talked about Neon White. We talked about... Um, Gareth Damien Martin, a.k.a. Superculture Network Affiliates uh, game Citizen Sleeper. And we talked about I, I briefly brought up um, I briefly brought up Elden Ring, but I want to talk about that a lot more this episode. And then we also talked about Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin question mark. And then we also talked about uh, the Pokemon games like very slightly. But what do you all have that is on your games of the year list that you wanted to talk about that maybe is, isn't on that list that I just brought up? Um, but if it is not that big of a deal, we could talk. You could give us a little bit more insight into like why you think it's one of the game of the years. Maybe it'll affirm <laughs> some of the rationale behind like why it was brought up on the last episode. I don't know if we're all thinking, but I, I think my contender is Elden Ring. Mm -hmm. it, it feels like it. At once, it feels like it came out so long ago, but it also feels like it took up over half the year yeah. in terms of like my game time and discourse. <laughs> it's funny, actually, now that I think about it, that it, it's both in-game, like both expansive and outside the game in our world, expansive in terms of how much time and space it took up. Yeah. Okay. It was another uh, from software banger, I guess, to intro, start off the conversation. Elden Ring is the i feel like the confluence like it's it's just the the nexus of conversation of the last decade or so in video games where so many of the like the big topics that we've seen um and so many of the like rehashed conversations that we've had whether it's about like difficulty accessibility single player gaming the future of games what game thematics should look like environmental storytelling they all kind of come together in this game. And because of that, it's been one of those games that we've talked about on Bad End and, you know, that everyone talks about all the time. So it it is definitely a cultural um, phenomenon and it's, it's grown to like much more than status as a video game, right? And in a this video game space in 2020, 2020, 2022, where like, Everything has to be a platform. Everything has to have uh, take up space outside of itself. Elden Ring does that in such a natural way. And I think like 
just the the sheer size, scope, and scale of it all, it, it really was like what a video game could and should be in this very weird specific year. That is to say, like it was huge, it was weird, it was difficult, it was not super accessible, and yet it was something that like we all kind of experienced collectively at the same time, uh, which feels like an impossible thing to achieve. And to me, that's one of the reasons why it's the game of the year. I mean, it, it's we're kind of I'm kind of like putting the lead right at the front here and giving it all away, but really, to me, it's hard to think of something else that was like as significant of a phenomenon and as significant as of an achievement as Elden Ring was. Oh yeah, for sure. It was also like to to me it was very surprising that it's it sold almost 17 like million copies, uh which is like insane to think that a a Dark Souls game which are renowned for being very hard, very hardcore in a sort of way, really like really just fucking hit with like my uh, my brother-in-law who, who mostly plays uh, Call of Duty Warzone would talk to me about like oh yeah like I got Elden Ring and I'm like oh like you you're the, you're the type of person that like everyone talks about where it's like you just buy Madden and you buy Call of Duty and it's like oh but you know about Elden Ring and you're excited for Elden Ring like it, it sort of hit such a a larger share of like the player base than I thought it would and wow I 17 million <laughs> nothing sells that like yeah i also had one of my cousins tell me about the game like that too where like a cousin again who like he's a fifa gta guy and then and warzone guy who's just like randomly talking about elden ring and i'm like i live in a world where my non-gamer gamer cousin is like just bringing up a Dark Souls game to me, you know, a Souls game to me. And that that's how big of a phenomenon it was. And just that, like, people get it and enjoy it is wild. Even though at the same time, like, there's no reason why they shouldn't have before, you know? Like, if you think about old arcade games and stuff like that, shit was hard, dude. Like, people would play Pac-Man and shit, and it's, like, hard to get past the third level of this game. But, um, El- but Elden Ring, like, there's just so much more to it that spoke to society at large i guess and the streaming communities and just like everyone involved in video games that i don't know it's, it's cool that everyone got to experience this and everyone got to experience such a good souls game i know there's a lot of uh debate over that even within the superculture discord but i don't know i it's my favorite souls game maybe after sekiro um i just i just loved it man it, it just brought me into its world and it wasn't like it didn't feel like it was like locking me out of the souls experience in the way that a lot of other souls games feel like they are doing uh and it didn't feel as oppressive and like those big three things are what made it a favorite for me that i can imagine like would not make it work for everyone else necessarily but that i loved about it specifically and i I imagine had to have reverberated with other people too no i think you absolutely hit the nail on the head there in that it, whether it's true or not, it definitely seemed to be more accessible than just having a grind against a boss and having to sit there like you might feel like people have to in the older Dark Souls games. Right. It, there's this sense of like challenge and um, perseverance that just coexists with the with the Souls community, I think. That puts off a lot of people, even people who are very aware of games and are told that the Souls games are excellent games they have to play at some point in their lifetime. Right. Mm-hmm. If there were to be like a canon of games, which there's not. I, at least not not that I'm aware. I feel like Dark Souls would be on there, right? It's like every gamer should play a Dark Souls game at some point. But it feels like Elden Ring was the first Souls game to actually make that happen, right? Even my roommate who only plays like RTS games or turn-based strategy games, doesn't love third-person action RPGs of any kind, even they were like, oh my god, like Elden Ring seems like I could actually get into it. Like I can actually sit down and play this game, even if it is difficult at times. I mean, I was going to nominate it as well. (laughs) That's why I was silent for a minute. Um, But yeah, it's just so approachable. Uh, I I mean, I played other Souls games, but I had never completed one. And I started this up and, you know, an hour and a half in, I hit Margit, the first boss or big boss. And uh, like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I went online and like, just turn around. (laughs) And then I spent 17 hours running around Limgrave, just having the time. Uh, It's just so easy to get into and i also you know same same experience here i have a coworker who mostly plays pokemon games and was like talking to me like a month later like have you played elden ring and i'm pretty sure she beat it now 
And it's just not the kind of thing I would have expected. Yeah. I also love that, like, we can look at a lot of this stuff in retrospect and see, like, what the significance of it was. The mar the Margit, Margit, I still have, I, I knew how I to pronounce know. it for, like, a week. <laughs> that fight was such, like, a turning point for so many people. And, like, this fight's such bullshit. Like, why is this first boss this hard? Which, and I totally get it. It's, like, it's stupidly hard. Probably the hardest boss, one of the hardest bosses in the games, in the game. But um, just the like turn around and go do other stuff. That's this game's lesson is like there's more stuff to do. You're not really stuck. Like there's a whole ass world for you to experience, even like behind you, which really like factors into that whole like play the way you want thing with Dark Souls games in particular that like so many other games put on the back of the box. But like Souls doesn't even have to say it. Cause that's like just the point. It's just like you can play this how you want. And like, that's, that's a big part of the experience. Which is why I also just uh, ran to my head into the wall when I first got to Margaret. <laughs> Margaret. Yeah. Same. Margaret. Yeah. No, I, I think I spent like six or seven hours just grinding his patterns of movement and I refused to leave. Cause I was like, no, no, I can't, I can beat him. I can do it. I, I mean, I almost quit the game um, out of my own stubbornness, but it, it'll even even though it does like encourage you to like leave and come back and like get stronger and learn more about the game, you can still have that like bullheadedness with it and just like try to ram your way through that game, which is what I did. Um, I played it like I did any other Dark Souls. It's a mirror. Elden Ring is a mirror <laughs> for society. Um, we have a question actually from Ed. Do you think Elden Ring will have a lasting cultural impact or has the impact already been felt with Dark Souls and will Elden Ring fade from discussion? Um, funny you should ask that, Ed, because there's a, I'm going to a concert like right after this uh, from this artist, up and coming artist, Brackens. And I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not, I'm not even sure how you pronounce this freaking artist name when I'm going to their show. But um, there's like a line in this song that they have that's like a, like it's so like the ring is Elden or something like that is one of the the lyrics. Uh, so I think that a lot of people know what Elden Ring is, and I think that you're going to hear more Elden Ring name drops in songs in the future. And I don't think we really got that with Dark Souls. Like I think Dark Souls was more significant in the gamer world, but I think Elden Ring is going to be more significant in the 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 world at large. I feel like it is the aliens to Dark Souls is alien, you know, mm. not in the sense that like it's it's big budget with a total personality change the way that Aliens was. But, you know, in, in the sense of it's it's recognition and cultural yeah, significance. Everybody played it. Yep. No, I mean, I, I agree with you, Josh. I think Elden Ring definitely even 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 in the game community, I think it's a touch point for like the ongoing conversation around what is an open world game and what should it do? What should it have? Is this what makes a successful one makes an unsuccessful one? And I think Elden Ring being such a huge budget game and such a garnered so much attention, I think will be just a touch of people building arguments as to why it did or didn't work mm -hmm. or why departing from the formula of like a tiny little beautiful, intricate map of Dark Souls was the wrong choice or the right choice to make. I think we'll, we'll be hearing those conversations for years to come. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I feel like I feel like Elden Ring is sort of when you look back and you see sort of like the conversation surrounding open world games, you have the, the sort of touchstones of you have Breath of the Wild in 2017, which, you know, nobody, nobody could shut up about. Uh, then you have Red Dead Redemption 2 in late 2019. And that's another thing that it just kind of like was everywhere. Everyone played it. Everyone loved it. And then now you have Elden Ring as sort of like, I think, the next one in that sort of lineage where everyone played it, everyone loved it. And it's going to be something that a lot of people will sort of look back on as like, oh, that's like one of the, uh, I guess, like you mentioned earlier, like one of the like canon, you know, capital C canon uh, entries in like video games almost. Sorry, I, I, this is a very unrelated, but where did the... I know the capital G God is in reference to the Catholic faith, but when did people start saying capital C canon? Is it like a reference to that? When, I don't know. Whenever I think of canon, I always think of, because of my background, I always think of the Council of Nicaea, where all of the old uh, religion people in the church got together and decided what was going to be the Bible. Um, and so whenever I think of people getting together, because, oh, oh, what was the, 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 the roguelike uh, conference? What was that called? where they would oh, get together like the, and they the, would determine the dutch council or some shit 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. Um, so that's that's what I think of when uh, when we think of uh, capital C canon is like uh, we think of these great sages sort of gathering in a room to sort of determine like what's going to be the Bible, except for uh, you know film or well, because you had that sight and sounds list, uh, which is kind of yeah. what a lot of people regard as as the canon of film, despite all of its controversy with the, its recent uh, recent listing and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where where that really uh, originates. I like that. The capital C canon for the capital G gamer. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's got a lot of uh, staying power, too, and, and, and just make an impact just because it's it's so big. And I'm not sure so many people played it. I'm not sure how many actually completed it, but there's so many play styles as well. I could just see people in a few years being like, I really want to dive back in. I want to make a new character. I want and they're going to re-experienced it again because it's at least for me it's too big to remember that whole game <laughs> like i'm struggling to think of everything i did in there right now and that was a few months ago yeah exactly what you mean i want to do like a magic run at some point magic is very fun speaking of fun like i i know we talked a lot about its impact and its cultural stay but like it's also just a fun game to play <laughs> like the moment to moment feeling the game feel right is actually beyond sekiro is up maybe Bloodborne is up there for me in terms of the rest of the Souls games. It's just so fun and dynamic. Um, every instance, every encounter with like a new enemy type is like a little mystery box in trying to like test the limits. It, it I think that's one of the biggest reasons it held me is that every time I like actually engage with its systems, I had a good time. Mm-hmm. And just like the the art style and world really hit for me too, and just like in in true from soft fashion like just absolutely mastering something that they've never done before like this open world game design that's just like constantly throwing new ideas at you that you've never seen before and like style both stylistically and in the way that the world is rendered it's just it's just gorgeous and disgusting and you know a thousand other adjectives that you could toss at it um in just the amount of places it takes you and the amount of things that it shows you um, I also think like the character work is really cool too. Like Ronnie's quest line is amazing. Uh, Blav is dope. That's his name, right? The the yeah, wolf guy. So. Um, the just um, like all the millennia stuff. Radigan, all these characters that you never even truly meet, but that you like encounter in the world in some way, shape, or form. Like it's just it's so fleshed out, and I I love the 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 story and plot even when it's just implied you know it's really powerful um and it's like this it's really good at the dark souls thing of like this environmental storytelling made manifest that like that tells you more about its characters and where you are uh than most other games do so I mean, dude, it's freaking, it's Souls, it's Elden Ring. Like, you already <laughs> you already know what it is, you know? Um, I, I'm curious as to whether anybody has other games that they wanted to mention on this list. Like, other games of uh, the year. Yeah, the, the only one out. that I had was uh, the one you had mentioned that you guys already talked about earlier, which was Pentiment from Obsidian. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so... I didn't. I didn't get a chance to listen in on that conversation. But like, what were the main things that you guys talked about about Pentiment uh, earlier? Um, we were talking about how much we respect the fact that it's pulling from uh, different inspirations than the typical game. The fact that it's like pulling from stuff like the Name of the Rose and like old, you know, medieval era like stuff. The fact that it's like more of a period piece type game than most other games are willing to approach. Stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Pentiment. I it was a, it was surprising to me uh, because it kind of just kind of got announced at E3 time uh, during the summer, and then kind of really didn't think much of it. I was just like, oh, it would look cool. You know, maybe I'll play it when it comes out. Obviously, it's going to be on Game Pass, so you know, no no harm in downloading it and checking it out. Uh, and then also, it was from Obsidian, which of course um, the last game that I played from them was The Outer Worlds, uh, which was not good. So that did not really fill me with much hope. But then playing Pentiment through was just it was just so surprising, like how how well they sort of accomplished what. My reading was, um, which I mentioned in our Discord, which was like, it seemed like they they knew what they were capable of. They knew what they wanted to accomplish. And they just said, okay, let's just do that. 
and they did it because it's like it's so cogent with what it wants to accomplish thematically and mechanically because the two things that really stick out to me are it's a lot of um with the text how the way that they display the text where everyone's text is different depending on their vocation or their class within society so of course you have the people who are in the abbey sort of have like this very uh, scripted you know sort of like very high class art looking text and then you have the peasants who just kind of have like very plain very rough sort of text and then my favorite uh, little thing that i didn't even really notice until i was very much far into the game was that the uh the type printer the guy who basically does the woodcuts to do uh printing his text and his daughter's text as well are basically just um kind of like pressed onto the speech bubble uh all at once because that represents what they do for a living which is they they do the printing of the woodcutting to make you know uh writings and copies and all that sort of stuff and it wasn't until act three that i realized that and when i was like i when i realized that i was just like oh my god like that just fucking went over my head this entire time and i didn't realize it until now that this was something that they were doing intentionally to sort of show you like oh this is what this is like what this person is. And then the the other thing that really got me with this game was, um, I won't spoil it because you know it's a recent game and I don't want to ruin the uh, playthrough for someone, but there are there's a dream sequence that introduces you to the game and you sort of return to that dreamscape a couple of times over the course of the game. And twice when you return to the dreamscape, there's a specific conversation that you have and both times, uh, it basically moved me to tears with how tender and how well handled the conversations were. Um, and that was like very rare because I don't think it's very hard for me to think of a game that just through a very simple sort of heartfelt conversation between two characters can sort of move me to tears. Because the only other time that I can think of that happening would maybe be when I originally played through Telltale's Walking Dead series in, in 2012, where you have that final conversation between Lee and Clementine. Um, and it's sort of like the culmination of their relationship um, and the things that you were trying to impart on her as you were playing that game, uh, sort of taking over the, the father figure role. So, but um, yeah, Pendiment was, it was just really surprising. Um, it was really well handled. I think it has a lot of stuff in it that you can sort of draw out and um, talk about, or just sort of like, it, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of text. Uh, it's got a lot of stuff that you can read from it, uh, which I think is very rare in games nowadays. Where it, I don't think there's there's that many games where it sort of reminds me of Disco Elysium in that way. Subtext, baby, the rare subtext in video games. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, so I, I just think Pentiment was really good. I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad I, I spent the time with it. It didn't take too long. I think it was about a week of coming home and sort of playing it for a couple hours uh, every night. Um, so it's not like a super long game, uh, but I think it's really it's really worth uh, experiencing and playing through. Okay, well, that's I'm I'm playing it this week. I it, it will I will probably have played it by the time this episode is out because the praise is so high. Uh, I'm I'm super stoked to actually check it out. I, it's one of those games that where like I I look at the screenshots and stuff, and it's not like it doesn't pull me into like really wanting to play this game right now, you know when it. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at the you know gameplay now, and I'm like, damn, okay, I I really want to check this out. It seems cool. I want to bring up some other games that we haven't brought up yet. Um, there's Card Shark. I don't know if any of y'all played that. I tried the first five minutes, so I can't speak to it. But it looks really cool. Yeah, I feel like this is one that Kyle would really ride for because he's brought it up a lot. But it's it's also similar to Pendment. I brought this up in the last episode in how like it, it's covering like a very specific time period and uses a lot of like these the speech patterns of that era and uh, similar themes and whatnot. But I do I love the way that Car Shark like gameplay wise, it's it never lets you know what it's doing next, you know. And in in the sense that like you're doing these magic tricks, but it's like teaching you new sleights of hand. It's teaching you like new ways to hoodwink people all the time. And it's really difficult to kind of pick up on them. And the game does have its share of like really fucking frustrating moments in how it teaches you these things. And a lot of the times it's not really clear what you're supposed to be doing. But just the fact that the gameplay is never like 
a static thing. There, there's always you're always breaking the fourth wall by the nature of what you're doing in the video game, which is like magic tricks. You know, I think that that's just like a really neat conceit for a video game, and um, I, I I would love to see it done more in the future, whether or not it's done. Uh, for a game that's about magic. I love the idea of having constant new, I guess, actions to perform uh, that you're sort of taught and choreographed and you have to like execute them all uh, live in in a live scenario uh, the same way one would perform magic live and you're trying to scam people out of your their money, essentially. So it's it's got this really cool thing where you, it's like it makes you nervous because you feel like you have to perform. Uh, and that's not something I get much from video games that I would love to see more of. So yeah, it sounds a lot like a, I don't know, actually don't know. I don't I have not played an instrument in years, but maybe playing an instrument, learning how to do it, and then playing in front of a crowd for the first time. Yeah, like I guess I would compare that to like a rhythm game or something, you know, like where you you could practice as much DDR in the comfort of your own home as you want. But then when you actually go to the arcade and are trying to play in front of people who are watching you dance, it's a whole different story. This game has some of that aspect to it. Hmm. Uh, except you're like cheating. It's like, it's also scary. Cause like you'll get, you'll go to jail. Like if you do the trick wrong, you know? Oh, whoa. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, there's like actual stakes, uh, because you're trying, you're scamming people. That's like the whole <sighs> point of the game. Oh, you're a card. Ah, see, I thought I didn't knock it far enough. And obviously I thought it was all about like playing a game, but ah, yeah, no, it, you're not playing games. You're tricking people. So like, you don't even need to learn how the games are really played. You just need to know how to do the trick, <laughs> <laughs> uh, huh. which is pretty cool. And, and a lot of it is like you're it's you and an, another accomplice that are both per- doing this hoodwink together so you know you're choreographing your actions with them and like you have to like communicate to them when someone draws a high card or there's all these things that you need to like think about while you're playing the game yeah um and it's like never the same thing twice which is really cool you think this could work a la ddr where like you play with a real life partner and you like try to outwit an even smarter or tougher opponent oh that would be that would be really cool. I feel like the only thing I can think of that's like similar to that is like a spy party type thing where you're yeah. both trying to like trick each other, knowing what you know about like AI and stuff like that. Um, I guess there's there's a sense in which you could compare Card Shark to that. Hmm. Um, another card game was Potionomics that I played. Um, I don't know. There's a lot that I like about Potionomics. Um, I think it's like really cute and like the writing is fun and the dating sim stuff is cute um but the store management mixed with like card game stuff to me was just like i felt like i was managing so many systems and it's the type of game where like if you don't play optimally like you'll have to start over from the beginning of the game uh wait what excuse me yeah like you have these competitions and like if you don't win the competition you have to like start over um which is oh geez yeah it's pretty brutal so like it's i'm constantly stressing over like whether i did it right or like whether i did something optimal and i actually started my game over like four hours in because i was like i'm not gonna make it dude um but yeah there's so interesting i was gonna say my roommate um he's really into these turn-based strategy games as i said he the way he plays games is kind of how this it sounds like this game forces you he if he can't get the optimal move if he can't save everything if he can't get all the optimal resources by this certain day he will restart the game until he learns how to do it until he can do it properly and that's a like rule he's imposed on himself so it's wild to hear a game that forces you to engage with that method yeah and like when i the first time i played it, it was like i just didn't go optimally so i had to like start over which really sucked um but also like i got bad rng so it made me kind of bitter but i don't know the the rest of it is still really cool that's like why i bring it up because i really do like a lot of aspects of the gameplay like i think the art direction is neat uh, i like the writing and the card game part is pretty cool um, it has a lot of uh, waifus in it from what i can tell yeah it's very <laughs> it's very uh, yeah hot people that good art yeah um, I really like the art direction. 
<laughs> uh, other video games, I have Ast Libra Revision. Highly recommend <laughs> checking that out. I recommend checking out Cultic. It's like an old school shooter that is not like bogged down in old schoolness. It's still really fun now, uh, even though it's like modeled after in the likes of Wolfenstein 3D and or uh, Doom and or Quake, etc. It's it's pretty it's pretty dope. What about Cult of the Lamb? Is that not earn anything? Yeah, I was gonna bring up Cult of the Lamb. Uh, Cult of the Lamb is. I have a difficult relationship with that game because like mm. it sticks out in my head of like the core gameplay loop, but like there's just so much weirdness about it, man. Like the length, how short it is for like how much it feels like you grind in that game. Like how is a four? how do I, how is that game only 14 hours when I feel like I spent like 14 hours alone grinding? It's, it's, uh. it weirds me out, but the combat's fun. Like the dungeon crawliness is fun. The animal crossing esque, villager management stuff is pretty fun it's just it doesn't reach the heights of its influences but is still nevertheless worth like playing if you like those kinds of games like you'll still have fun so huh. it's it is fun it is fun i like how you have to reassure yourself that's fun it's fun, it's fun. <laughs> i wouldn't have thought about it this much if, if it wasn't fun that's like that's all i can think of really off the top of my head what about narco oh i only play a couple minutes of narco things. And did I think Norco whips. Okay. Like I, I didn't end up finishing it since I am a notoriously bad at finishing games. But I actually thought like I played both Norco and Pentiment, and maybe it's just a personal thing, but Pentiment had us I'm really liking it so far. I'm still playing it. I'm not really that far in, but the first like hour or two it was so dry for me. I'm like, I don't care about being this old ass white dude who's a religious man <laughs> in this boring little town. I'm like, my walking speed is so slow. It, there was a certain scene at the end of the first day that I don't want to spoil um, where there's a confrontation. And I was like, OK, this is spicy. I, I'm down with this. Like, this is fun. But Norco from the get go, like just the what is it? The setting of it, it just drew me in automatically. Right. Like, I guess it it, it touches on the South I don't think many games I've ever played ever talk about the South. Or there's not a lot of media that <laughs> talks about the South in what seems to be a, I can't say if it's authentic or not, but what seems to be an earnest way. Um, mm. And that it truly tries to get to the heart of what it's like to live there in maybe a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, I really loved it. Love the dialogue. Love that it's just a dialogue game, but I get to just click on things. I don't have to move my character around. I can just fully lean back in my chair, like neat knees up like a little degen gamer and just uh listen to people or like read people have really fun conversations really interesting ones i i can't i didn't put it for game of the year because i didn't finish it so i don't think i've seen enough to like i've heard the ending is controversial but i think it should be in that conversation i feel like pentiment has taken a lot of the air out of the room for like there can only be one visual novel right speaking game that is contended for game of the year and it's pentiment this year for what it's worth, a lot of people do seem to have liked Norco quite a bit, so I'll I'll give it another shot as well. I think it came to Game Pass this past month as well, because I sh I think it showed up on my uh, Game Pass tab. Yeah, I think it's been on. I think it's on Game been on Game Pass. Uh, in terms of not Game of the Year, but one of my biggest disappointments of the year was Bayonetta three. Oh hmm. no! Um, I'm a huge Bayonetta fanboy. Love Bayonetta one and two. Have played those a lot. I'm very famous uh, amongst my friends for only liking games that make my Zoomer brain give me serotonin. <laughs> so action games, tons of shooting, tons of like moving around, really good like gameplay feel. Mm -hmm. But Bayonetta three, just I don't know the game. The game is the gameplay is there, but it's it's lacking a lot of the soul. It feels like they took a lot of what made it. I'm in the camp. <laughs> I'm in the camp of thinking Bayonetta is camp, and so it felt like Bayonetta three just lost a lot of those like fun features and fun. I don't know. It just feels like Bayonetta is like, she's not the same character. Um, mm. And so it's not nearly as fun to just have gratuitous violence and weird, dumb action things. I'm like, huh, this feels like a uncharted thing more than like a Bayonetta thing. Did you watch uh, the gaming Brit shows video on Bayonetta three? I did not. Oh, Cause I feel like he, I, I watched it just cause I was curious. Um, and it seems like he, he sort of hits and has the same sort of disappointment that you had where it's like, it, it's kind of it's there like it it's it's a bayonetta game but it doesn't have the same soul that he thought the first one had especially oh absolutely yeah it doesn't have that oomph that like 
even the intro sequence, which Bayonetta games at this point are well known for, like this over the top action sequence where she changes into her costume, like the music wasn't the same. She wasn't like witty and like enjoying herself. It was like a silent scene with like some music happening in the background where you just like get thrown into gameplay. I'm like, wow, huh? that's the start of the game. Yeah, I don't know. It, It felt so lifeless in a way that I was really sad. It made me be like, huh, I know there's going to be another Bayonetta, but if this is the direction the series is taking for me, it's not it's not quite what I want. I, I guess it made more sense to see the reviews. There were some reviews that were talking about the death of Bayonetta and like the ending and all that other stuff. And I, it made a little more sense as to why it, it felt more soulless. It felt just like a generic action game rather than what to me felt like a more more queer friendly action game in the past. Two more games I want to bring up. Marvel Snap. Uh, it's a it's a very good digital card game, in my opinion, which I think you should value because I <laughs> played a lot of digital card games. Um, and then also Vampire Survivors. That was, mm. in some ways, that was like the game of the year. You know, in some ways. I mean, not as much as, not as much as uh, Elden Ring, but it's really it's good. It's definitely the most game game of the year. You know, yeah, it's up there. Yeah, it's just, it's game, a game, game baby. Game it's a video game. That's that they really made me want to play Stranger Paradise, man, because that one seems like a real game, real video game game. Yeah. You um, know, big number. Make my brain go. We. <laughs> um, OK, let's talk about some trends. Battle passes. Brian, do you want to. What's your take? Yeah. Um. So I brought this up in the pre-show briefly. Um. I have not played a lot of new games, but I <laughs> as every year, I am still playing League of Legends for the last 10 years. I am still playing Apex Legends for the last year and a half, and I am now playing Pokemon Go, which is another like giant endless game. And in all these games, I've like in the past been very much like a free to play, free to play player. I don't want to spend a dime on them. Uh, That was my mindset. But recently I've been like, well, you know, like I don't mind throwing a couple bucks here and there every couple months to like get some fun new skins or get some fun new like passes or even just like have a a reason to play with my friends. But it feels like, especially with like Halo and Overwatch 2 releases this year, that a lot of the game passes, battle passes that I've seen, have felt like they're asking for the same, if not more, amount of my money, but asking for me to grind that game to like Kingdom Come. They want me to grind Halo and Overwatch and League of Legends and all these others. Like if I'm playing Final Fantasy 14 and I'm trying to get my money's worth. Like I... (laughs) And they're not nearly as good as Final Fantasy 14. You don't have to grind to Final Fantasy 14, okay? You don't? Jeez. You just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, you're right. That's <laughs> You definitely don't. But they, they feel like they, they're there for the sake of having players have something to do day to day to just keep engagement up in the game, right? It feels like, at least the recent ones, don't feel like they're given any kind of authentic... I hate to use this word, but content or like fun new gameplay features or like fun new skins or fun. They don't feel like they're being created for the purpose of giving me something fun, interesting, but they're more blatantly, I guess I should say, being made for the purpose of having me engage with their game on a day to day basis and have it be a part of my lifestyle, be a part of my platform, right? Be a I get home from work and I log on to Overwatch because I have to do my daily challenges. So if I don't do my daily challenges, I can't get the new hero in two months. Because then I'll fall behind and I'll be able to play with my friends because I can't jump in ranked to like get my number higher. Right. Uh, I've also been, I've been playing a lot of Apex. I picked it back up. I've been playing it pretty consistently since launch. But I feel like last year I kind of dropped off a little bit. And then I picked up this last two seasons. And for Apex, I feel like the Battle Pass is it has enough within it to make it worth it, especially because with the Apex Battle Pass, They'll do the thing where they'll give you enough of the premium currency as you complete the levels that once you get to a certain point, you'll be able to use that premium currency to basically purchase the next season's battle pass without actually having to put any new money into the system, uh, so to speak. Uh, With Halo Infinite, I also picked up Halo Infinite last year and enjoyed it. I didn't play it as much as Apex or anything, but that battle pass really felt very much like an obligatory thing that was just kind of the expectation for multiplayer games nowadays and i had a friend who um he's like uh he's like a big destiny guy so he's very much uh like 
grinding out everything possible to get every little piece of content possible. And so he would do the same sort of thing with Halo Infinite, where he would just grind the battle pass or the season pass or whatever. And it would just be like, it's just like, I'm like talking to him. I'm like, why, like, why are you doing this? Like, you're so obviously not enjoying it. And it's not even like the rewards in the Halo uh, season pass, like really was that much worth it either too. Uh, Cause like you look at the armor stuff and it's just like, I don't know. It look it just looks like another fucking Spartan armor thing. Like it doesn't really look like it's like this crazy new thing. Like Overwatch, I think is, well, I guess cause I haven't played Dota or League of Legends, which kind of are like the pillars of it. Um, but I like Overwatch uh, as far as like the creativity they come at with the skins. Um, I think Overwatch is kind of like for me on console, the gold standard as far as like, you know, doing battle passes where they will, you know, give you these skins that are like very interesting, very creative, uh, something that you definitely want to get and to show off and to use. Um, Apex a little bit less so, but definitely Halo was definitely sort of like the bottom where I was like, I am just going to not even pay attention. I don't give a shit about the battle pass. I'm just going to jump into fucking big team battle for a couple matches and then log off and go play something else. Um, so it definitely, definitely does feel like with Halo Infinite, especially that um, the way that these companies are approaching how to monetize live service games is definitely uh, flailing. Or I guess maybe you, you just you can't graph that system onto every franchise. Uh, I guess. Yeah, it feels like it definitely feels like because battle passes are the monetization mechanic of the immediate future and present like it it does feel like people are experimenting with how much they can get away with what it should look like what should be the purpose of a battle pass etc etc and i think there are times when you see it and it's like it's more bullshit than others it seems like the halo one is kind of infamous for being that right like for valorant like i got the battle passes and i was never like i don't know they're kind of like bargain bin skins that you get in in that uh, except for like the last one and you have to play like every day to to mm. get the final level. Um, but then again, like all the really good skins in Valorant and stuff are like 50 bucks for like a mm. single fucking gun skin, you know? <laughs> it's insane. Like that's like actually real. Like there's actually like a 50, there's like a $40 skins in there. Oh man. The knives oh, are so crazy expensive. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, let's talk about this Callisto protocol black for blood thing that you wanted to talk about, Stephen. Oh yeah. Um, so last year or was it, was it last year? Back for blood was last year, right? I think it was last year, man. I can't even, I think it was last year. Yeah. So last year back for blood came out. It was from turtle rock. It was sort of, you know, in the lead up to release, it was basically like, Oh my God, it's the people who made left for dead. They're basically making left for dead again. Um, except, of course, without Valve um, and in the year of our Lord 2021. Uh, and so Back for Blood came out. We played it. Uh, we, all, we we played some co-op and, man, it was a disappointment. Um, and so that was like a, just like kind of like a thing where I think a lot of people sort of attributed it to basically Valve not being involved, I think was sort of the narrative that took over. I'm not sure I totally buy into that. But then this year we have Callisto Protocol which are basically from a lot of the people who put together and created Dead Space, which a lot of people really liked, myself included. And so in the lead-up to Callisto Protocol coming out, um, it was sort of like, oh my god, it's the people who made Dead Space, and they're kind of like making doing it again, essentially. Like, how not that going to be great? And then it came out, and it was definitely not as good as I think a lot of people wanted it to be. Um, and so it just seems to be this thing where... There's a there's this a group of people who made something that you really enjoyed earlier years ago. They're back together. They're going to do it again, and then they do it, and it's pretty much like a hollow experience. And I'm not sure if that's just sort of like because of the way that games are made nowadays. Because of course, Back for Blood had a uh, a battle pass. I'm pretty sure, or at least like a season pass. I think I remember where you would like level up, and you know you would grind out, you would get like cards. Uh, I can't even remember uh, 100% what it was, but I think we would get like we would have like these different cards that we would pick before our matches, right? And you would have to level up to unlock that sort of stuff. And then Callisto seems to be very much like the sort of thing where it's like they really wanted to recapture that spirit, but just really were not able to pull it together. And of course, Glenn Schofield, the 
the director for Closer Protocol had that infamous tweet uh, like a month ago or whatever, where it was like, you know, I'm I'm just grinding it out, man. Like I don't, I'm just talk, I'm living the game, and it was about the this is uh, gaming. The, yeah. Oh man, it was it was really bad. But I don't know. It just seems like it just seems like there's a thing where I think you can. Well, I don't know if uh, the Gotham Knights really falls under that because that was like a weird thing where it was like, oh, it's you know, uh, Rocksteady made the Arkham Knight trilogy great trilogy everyone loves it great time uh here we are with gotham knights it's sort of the same thing but it's also kind of like almost like an avengers like live service game but then it also seems like they kind of pulled all the live service portion of that out of it at the last minute when they realized that avengers was a big failure and it was just like such a weird hollow experience that people were like like what what happened like how how did we how did it come to this where like we were supposed to have another Left for Dead. We were supposed to have another Dead Space, and this is what we got. Yeah, it feels like to me there's this like separation bet- between like the creative vision for a video game as a product and like the actual act of producing and developing a video game. You know, like, and I feel like that's where this disconnect comes in, where you have these like creative visions who were behind some of the biggest ideas and. And I guess like systems that dictated the success of these earlier games like Left 4 Dead and Dead Space, etc. But then like if you just don't have the right resources behind it, if you don't have the right people on the production side, if you don't have like all the pieces in place, it's just not going to be the same. Like you can't just churn it out. And so like there's... It, it, it seems like this kind of unique 2022 failing of people who think they could just do this just because they were like the minds behind these older games. I guess like Shenmue 3 is sort of in that mm. same vein, you know? Like it's not, a game is not just an idea, even though like a good idea can help to carry a game. Like you really need it to be made well, which mm. kind of differentiates video games from a lot of other media. You know, you can have other mo- like you can have films and stuff that are like terrible production value, but like the idea behind it was just so irresistible that it works, you know? And you don't see that as much with video games, especially if the idea isn't like mind-bogglingly good or something. So I think that is that's something that Hopefully we'll see less of in the future, but it's hard to say because I, I feel like people still might have the misconception that like just because someone had an idea that led to Left 4 Dead 1, that they can make a good Left 4 Dead 3, you know? And that kind of leads me into my next idea f- and that I wanted to talk about for like trends, which is that like indie games are kind of like the only, that is what gaming is now. Like as far as the old guard purist angle of like what is video games and what are video games and what is video gaming like the closest that we'll get to these like old school experiences is indie stuff i feel like the circuit now is if you want something new if you want new ip like you don't look to these big triple a developers you look to the indie space and then you hope you know those might blow up in in a significant way look toward those smaller developers to create the games that like are actually going to push the medium forward. I feel like we're officially at that stage now. And I think it's gotten acknowledgement widespread that that's like kind of the world that we live in. I don't know if you all agree with that. Yeah. I I mean, it seems like most games are uh, maybe not, maybe not necessarily indie, but I mean, things like God of War Ragnarok, that's an outlier. Like (laughs) there's very few games like that these days. And you can kind of tell what it's going to be like ahead of time. You're not necessarily seeing the new innovation there. Um, the you know the games we just nominated besides Elden Ring were all kind of smaller, unique games that were kind of pushing, you know, interesting new directions. And they're getting a lot of uh, press right now, a lot of views, and people talking about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the games I play are indie games or small games, uh, smaller studios. Yeah, you can really like. I could see, you know, even Vampire Survivors or something like getting Vampire Survivors 2 and it being like this huge thing because the first one had such a great reputation when that came out, you know, like that's that's what's going to like perpetuate itself. And like that's where we're going to see the new ideas come through. 
Um, I feel like it's been this way for a little while, like we've seen this brewing, but now it feels like this is this is the world that we live in. If you want something new, it's going to ha- come from the indie space or at least whatever indie is now. I was going to say, I think it ties in with the idea that I don't, I've been just learned this term recently, so I don't know if I'm using it correctly, but like dark forests, the dark forest communities and how not everyone, but there's been this big shift generally um, into smaller, more micro communities, either on discord or group chats and other such things. And I, those kind of like indie games can often be a little more niche, a little more like trying to hit a very specific audience. And so there's a lot more word of mouth that can happen to help support these games. There's a lot of ways that these games can blow up by like really resonating with someone specifically. And then they can share it out with the rest of the people that they know, right? In the super culture discord. And everyone's like, oh my God, whoa, Penentiment, it's really that good. That's sick. Let's go play it, right? Uh, And no, that's not an indie game, obviously, you know, but I guess that effect seems to catapult these indie games into like what might be considered success financially. I guess underlying it all, and we can kind of use this to start wrapping up a little bit, but do you, are we getting older or are, you know, did we not play video games as much this year? Are we like not feeling (laughs) games as much or is it, is it just been a weird year? What do you think? It's hard for me to tell. Uh, Go ahead, Steven. (laughs) No, 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 go for David. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I just look back at how many games I bought and played this year and it was a really small number. And I'm just like, man, I, I don't know. I just don't care about them that much. Um, I still listen to a lot of, uh, gaming podcasts and follow, you know, game news. And I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm like, do I just kind of follow this? Like people follow sports, like they're not really participating, but they're just, you know, keeping up on what's going on at all times. Um, and I, I think that's kind of what's going on. And yeah, I don't know if it's just, you know, the year or the times or the stage of life I'm at. You know, I got, you know, family and all that. I got a dog. Having Ooh, a dog nice. is kind of like Congrats. playing a game. Yeah. <laughs> a real life you, game. Uh, yeah, it's like a real life game. You train them and you walk them and you level up their stats in a lot of ways. It's like um, Nintendogs <laughs> in real life. <laughs> yeah, it's just like Nintendogs in real life. Yeah. But yeah, I just... um don't play that much, but I still keep up. It's it's just kind of a, a unique thing. Um, I was thinking about, yeah, you know, games I played this year, and I was like, man, I played a lot of the New York Times crossword mini. <laughs> like, that's technically a game, <laughs> but um, also just, potentially a sign of getting older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I blame work on that one. Everybody at work is always playing the New York Times crossword, but I mean, I also got deep into Elden Ring and played that crap out of that i played some old games um you know i picked up dragon quest 11 again that i hadn't touched in two years and hopped right back in and had a lot of fun with that and i was like well that's you know that's pretty cool i love that game so yeah i i uh i beat super mario world for the first time this year that's kind of interesting but that game's 30 years old <laughs> so, congrats congrats thanks it's, it's, how do you all feel about this year i know there, you know a lot of people were kind of their game of the years and stuff kind of besides Elden Ring kind of popped up towards the end of the year, which is not usually the case for games, I think. <sighs> yeah, I think uh, speaking for myself, you know, I look at the uh, the Keelys, uh, and you see game of the year. It's uh, Plague Tale, Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Stray, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. And I don't know, but it just seems like it's just like, do... Do I want to play the same game again? Uh, because Xenoblade Chronicles 3, it, it's a JRPG. Horizon Forbidden West, it's another Sony third-person open-world action RPG. God of War Ragnarok, I already played the first, wasn't really compelled by it. Elder Ring, I know a lot of people love, but I, I've i tried to play Demon Souls, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Sekiro, and I enjoy them up to a certain point where I'm like, ah, you know what, I'm good. Um, so I didn't even try to do that again with Elden Ring. And then A Plague Tale Requiem is probably the only one because I know Reed has talked talked that it's it's good. And so that's the only one that I'm sort of like interested in. But I do think that it just seems like a lot of the the big games that get talked about are sort of like um, you know, like we talked about when we we're talking about how indie games are the the sort of gaming where it's like that's where you kind of look to to find new things. Um it's because all the big games are they just seem to be the same thing, maybe a little bit different, but just kind of like the same thing again 
uh, and that's kind of been why I didn't really engage with much this year. Uh, this year, I ended up playing like a lot of old stuff, uh, like I like how I mentioned uh, Max Payne Three. I dabbled in that years and years ago when it was free on PlayStation Plus at some point, and I, I didn't really click with it. And then Bullet Points did their playthrough of all the different Remedy games, and you know both of them love Max Payne Three and talked about it, and so I you know picked it up and played it again to be like okay like you know it's been a while let me see if i can actually kind of click with it and oh boy did i click with it i was like oh this is what they're talking about like fuck yeah this game is really fucking good <laughs> um with like what it's doing in style what it's doing in gameplay what it's doing as far as like the the sort of it's it's just such a weird game too because it's it's a rockstar game but it's a remedy property and mm. so max paint 3 sort of being pulling from both of those you know developers was just such a fascinating thing to to watch unfold as i was playing it um but yeah so like you know a lot of my my time this year was playing a lot of old stuff um which i enjoy because uh new stuff is pretty can be pretty expensive uh, when it's not on game pass uh and old stuff you there's like uh there's more certainty as far as like knowing whether or not you're going to be uh into it um, then, you know, sort of like trying to figure out like, oh, maybe am I going to be one of the people who likes Callisto despite its faults? Or am I going to be someone who doesn't enjoy it at all and just wasted $60? Yeah. And there's there's so many old games and it's easier to find the ones that are well-regarded and people are, you, you'll be able to find something you like a lot easier if you kind of go into the backlog. This was um, true of the last episode too, where people were saying they paid, they played a lot of video games. It was like a very much a backlog here for them. And it's like, that's another kind of mini trend itself is that like, we're in like a kind of backlog era right now. Like everything that there's so many remakes coming out right now, like mm -hmm. with the resident new resident evil four coming out. Like this year we had a fucking remake of last of us. <laughs> like that's where we are right now. We are getting remakes of games that came out like less than, you know, that came out like not that long ago. And, um, it's, it's, it's this weird position where it's like, do it feels like video games are afraid to have new ideas, um, at least in the big spaces. So we're kind of at the mercy of like, well, let's just hope smaller studios have good ideas for games because it's no longer a guarantee that like these big studios that we've come to rely on to like give us new stuff are going to like do that because it's just too much of a bar. It's too much of a risk for them. So I guess, uh, appreciating the backlogs is going to be a big trend unless, uh, we've got new fun stuff coming out soon and let's hope that 2023 <laughs> is better. I think is all that we can hope for. Yeah. Um, we got a Witcher three patch and, and a Witcher remake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Number, yeah. Um, but with that, I have to start wrapping up y'all. Um, you got a concert to go to? Yeah. Um, <laughs> got to head out for that. Uh, Paul asks, can N Walker win again? Yeah. Maybe we'll just call N Walker the game of the year two, two years in a row. But no, I do think I am happy with Elder and Elden Ring for this, uh, this year. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, with that, do any of y'all have anything that you want to plug any like last minute things that you want to say about the, the year, um, before we sign off? I do think this was the year for esports, though. I feel like esport competition was super hype. A lot of really cool storylines across many different games that I watch. If, if, if you guys don't watch esports, but you watch sports or watch other things, definitely get into esports. Very fun. Esports is good. Right. Anyone else? We have a little, little shout out to uh, me and the professor on summer vacation, the endless seven day journey, uh, Shin Chan video game. It's just a mm. cool little video game in the realm of the Boku no Natsuyasumi games and uh it just makes you feel fun feelings and there's no combat or anything like that and i just kind of noticed a trend of some of the games we really liked or made us feel feelings pentiment pentiment made you teary-eyed and card shark made you nervous and games that make you feel something different i think that's kind of cool and i was just gonna say uh with the uh ongoing death of twitter people have been finding all these new social media sites to go to but i gotta say Back on Tumblr, breakingarrows.tumblr.com. Nice. Follow me. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I'll have someone to follow on there at least. Oh, God. <laughs> All 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, y'all. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening and for being great members of the community and for volunteering to do this. Um, this was, yeah, this has been an awesome little experiment, but uh, glad to have you all on. Excited for this to go live. And um, to everyone else listening, thanks so much for listening to Bad End. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Bad End Podcast. Email us at badendpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you like what you hear, you want to join the community, you can uh, contribute to our Patreon, patreon.com slash badend. Uh, that will bring you into the Superculture Discord. Um, Superculture, uh, we're made up of bullet points. Uh, we're made up of Funland. We also have Heterotopias. And yeah, it's just overall a fun place to be. A lot of really cool projects coming out of Superculture. And uh, if you want to be a part of it, join up. Uh, so thanks so much again to all of our community. Hope you had a great year and we'll see you in the next one. See ya.